I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to Past, the podcast about those who would never rule. I'm Veronica Fortune, and this week's episode is... The end of... Well, not so many series, part three, the one year anniversary episode, and a question and answer episode. Before I even start, I want to thank every listener and especially my patrons for their support. I'm so grateful I can do this with my free time or what time I have and that so many of you are listening. I'm also so grateful to everyone who sent in questions. Those are coming after the recap. This will be a much more laid back than normal episodes. Patrons may be used to this from my special episodes, which do have a more casual tone. Full disclosure, my first episode was released on the 16th of May, 2022, which is two days ago for me recording now. So this is coming a few days after that. I, though, prefer celebrating after the actual event instead of before. I'm sure I'm just a bit eccentric and superstitious. Since this third series has been so big, I figured it needed a proper conclusion. I'm going to be mostly random, going through my thoughts on events that I've covered over the last few months. I started the third series on the 22nd of August last year, in a probably overly ambitious attempt to discuss the mess that Edward III left for history. I think I've done an okay job covering the people who didn't rule and explaining some of the political events around them. I also started and then paused trying to do fortnightly episodes about smaller, non-human subjects. I will be getting back to this, but I got a little overwhelmed with the main narrative and having two huge subjects towards the end of the series was a lot. Richard III, Duke of York, and Margaret Beaufort. Honestly, I could have shared so much more about both of them. They each could have had six episodes easily. So now on to my ramblings about this last series. I have this funny little tick I have when reading history. No matter how many times I read a fact, there are some that I wish just would not happen. From this last series, the two big ones are Philip the Tall usurping his niece, Joan II of Navarre, and Henry VI's recovery in 1454. With the first, it would have removed Edward III's claim to the French throne, and for all we know, Charles II of Navarre may have been a great king of France. <laughs> I'm kidding, guys. <laughs> if you're not a patron, you're missing out on knowing more about Charles II of Navarre, so join us for his episode. The second, though, with Henry VI, I need to be more nuanced. 
I do wish Henry VI had never had to deal with mental health issues because it sounds like it would have been difficult to go through. I guess a better way of saying this is I wish Henry VI had listened to the wise counsel of his cousin, Richard of York, and reformed his government while trying to find the best way to achieve long-term peace with France. I wish Henry VI's son, Edward, had been raised by chivalric, wise men and women instead of learning on the battlefield and having his cruel streak nourished instead of controlled or even directed. My next random thought is all the claims of infidelity are just a lot if you think about it too much. Richard Conisper not being Edmund's son, but instead Joan of Kent's grandson. It's just weird. One I didn't mention in the main series is the accusations that Edmund Tudor, Henry VII's father, was actually Edmund Beaufort's son. I did mention the possibility of an affair, though. It would make Edmund Tudor's marriage to Margaret Beaufort more horrible than it already was. Remember that whole very young thing. They would have also been first cousins. Plus, if these things were true, then Henry VII and Elizabeth of York were way more closely related than was okay with the Catholic Church. Okay, the next bit. I need to go archaic on all of you. In the Middle Ages, the king and any sons he produced have two jobs. To be leaders, ready to direct armies and hold things together in peace, and to reproduce. Yes, this is horrific in the modern world, but look at the news coverage around the various royal princes and princesses' reproductive choices. While today this shouldn't be the case, in the 15th century, it was the case. Henry VIII wasn't wrong for trying to secure his succession, just for the way he went about it. And I'm, I'm not even talking about church reforms or anything like that, just the way he treated women in general. So looking back on this series, of Henry IV's sons, only one succeeded in having children, legitimate ones. The others were loyal in a way every king would wish for, Honestly, Henry V could have had a very bad time, but his brothers fell into line. Even when they disagreed, they held his side. But they let their nephew, his son Henry VI, down by not providing him with supportive heirs. It allowed their distant cousin, Richard, third Duke of York, to take advantage of the disunity in Henry VI's court, and it eventually led to his and his son's deaths. Being a royal in the 14th and 15th century couldn't be just about chivalry and joust. It had to be about the future. Here's the thing. All three of Henry V's brothers had children, illegitimate children. And at least one wife from each brother could have children. I will give the Duke of Bedford a little wiggle room. He was very unwell when he married his second wife, and their chance of conceiving would have been low. But the Duke of Clarence had a wife who had six living children at the time of their marriage and was only 26 or 27 at that time. They were married for almost 10 years. Henry V's youngest brother, Humphrey, Duke of Gloucester, seemed to just want to upset everyone with his marriage choices. His first wife, while noble, was married to another man. Yes, I am serious. <laughs> and his second wife was his mistress, who was later accused of witchcraft. You may remember this. I will say she was likely the mother of his illegitimate children, so he might have been trying to do what John of Gaunt had done, but it didn't work out. This is the failing of the House of Lancaster, not securing the future. I mean, Edward, Prince of Wales, could only do so much. Further with that, I have a fun thought experiment I want to do. 
but first let's talk about the House of York. Their failing was that while appearing united behind their figurehead, Edward IV, they were actually deeply divided. You'll remember a lot of this from Elizabeth of York and Margaret Beaufort's episodes. George of Clarence was loyal until he thought he could become king himself, something no brother had done since John Lackland had messed with things while Richard the Lionheart was on crusades. And then, once Edward IV was gone, his youngest brother, Richard, well, misplaced his heir and the spare. This lack of loyalty doomed the Yorkist cause more than any battle ever could. So my fun thought experiment is, sons of Henry IV versus sons of Richard, Duke of York. They're separated by a generation, but there are four of them in each family, assuming Edmund of Rutland doesn't die outside of Sandal, and it's my thought experiment, so he's alive. <laughs> so, a political and military battle. The Lancastrians get their Beaufort cousins, and the Yorkists get their Neville cousins. Who wins politically and militarily? Full disclosure, I am not actually on Team Lancaster or Team York. I don't pick a side for the Wars of the Roses, and I really never have. I, I try to avoid picking a side. I'll be fascinated by a person on a side. I'm on Team Sorted Out so we can keep harvesting our wheat in peace. But for this thought experiment, I'm fully on Team Lancaster. Brotherly loyalty, good military backing, no heirs getting misplaced. Thomas of Lancaster wasn't perfect. Marrying his uncle's widow was an odd call, but overall he supported Henry V once he was king. We can't say the same thing for Edward IV's brothers. One little thing I did want to mention. I'd like to make a small note of one of the often forgotten victims of the Wars of the Roses, Anthony Woodville, Earl Rivers. I know, it sounds like an odd choice to mention, but hear me out. Earl Rivers was a rather learned man for someone of his supposedly humble birth. Remember, his mother was of noble birth and had been well-educated. Plus, he was an actual descendant of Charlemagne. It's obvious she passed on this to her children, and it can be seen clearly in Anthony. While a brilliant general and military mind, he was also an early Renaissance man, who was a patron of William Caxton, a printer. One of the first works in English printed in England were Anthony's translations from French. I think he saw the value in the technology, and had he lived longer, he might have been at the forefront of English thought. He was only 43 when he died. His work could have influenced court and thinking for many years still. Just a little shout out for one of those little people. I feel I should mention his sister as well. While Elizabeth Woodville wasn't the ideal queen consort in the eyes of the nobility, she was actually rather close to an ideal queen consort, in fact. She was pious, devout, and had a lot of children, and supported her husband. Her siblings may have taken all the eligible men and women in court and stopped a few noble families from marrying off their daughters, but they weren't horrible monsters. They were normal people, looking to gain influence and wealth, using the means the nobility had used for generations to expand their own wealth and influence. They just beat the nobility at their own game. For a while. Yes, I know that one brother was married off to a much older widow, which could be shocking, but he wasn't the first to do so. <laughs> While I'm running away with all of this, I need to remember that this series has also been about the Hundred Years' War. So, 
who do I think the rightful king of France was? Obviously, Joan II of Navarre and her son, Charles II of Navarre. I said rightful, not good. Really, though, at the end of the day, the rules at the time clearly showed that council or the barons or whoever could convince the largest group of men with arms was the rightful king. And Philip VI did that. Salic law, though, will lead to some interesting stories in France. I'm really looking forward to covering the three almost kings whose sons would rule. It makes for an odd case. A man whose father and grandfather weren't king, but whose son is a king. All because a rather distant cousin didn't have a son. All because way back in 1316, a younger brother of a late king usurped his niece. As for ruling France to this day, I'm not touching that subject. Viva la Republic. <laughs> okay, now to the final thought, the one I know you've all been waiting for. Who killed the princes in the tower? I know, because we can't finish a Wars of the Roses program without it coming up. I will not say I'm 100% sure how they died. But I'm very confident that as of the time of this recording, they are dead. My theory, though, is a bit different than most, not because I want to be difficult, but because Richard III's character confuses me a lot. Throughout most of his life, he was loyal to his brother, Edward IV, a talented military commander who could lead men and a seemingly thoughtful husband. This is shared by both his supporters and his detractors. No one is saying that he was cruel and had planned this all back when he was young. Richard III was close to his cousin Warwick, who had basically raised him, but didn't turn on his oldest brother when Warwick and George of Clarence did. But usurping a throne from a child out of fear of that child's maternal family is pretty low. Plus, summarily executing one of your closest followers is a really bad look. I think Edward V died of natural causes. I've found notes that he was sickly or unwell, and plague goes around regularly, illness takes people down. I think that after this, Richard may have accidentally said something along the lines of, quote, What miserable drones and traitors have I nurtured and promoted in my household who let their lord be treated with such shameful contempt by an illegitimate boy? End quote. Yes, this is a modification of the words Henry II said in relation to Thomas Becket. I obviously don't think Richard used the same words as his ancestor, but it's highly possible that he, in a moment of rage, suggested his life would be easier if the boy wasn't alive. Remember that he had basically declared his nephews illegitimate at this point. I don't know how everyone around him was feeling. I then think one of his retainers did the deed, and Richard, well, hopefully upset, just accepted it and moved on, at least until August of 1485. Regardless of who ordered anything done to the princes, Richard was their guardian as both the protector of Edward V, outlined in his brother's will, and the person holding them physically in a legal sense. If they died during that time of anything other than natural causes, he shares some of the blame. Since 1066, only one usurped king of England, to this point, had ever enjoyed a long life after his overthrow. Any guesses who? Email me answers and I will read out the correct one when I get it. It's not surprising that the princes didn't live long after Edward V's usurpation. 
What interests me the most about this isn't that Richard could do this, but his likely reason. The Woodville clan. It amazes me that this small group of grasping minor gentry could rise so high as to threaten the Lord Protector and his interests. To me, it shows that Richard was afraid more than anything, and fear causes people to make bad decisions. Do I think the Woodvilles would have done anything to injure him as a person? I don't know. In general, they don't seem to have been horrible, vindictive people. They weren't a perfect family, but they did seem to be okay people, dodgy marriages aside. I hope you've all enjoyed this not-so-many-series and my rambling thoughts at the end. I don't think I'll be doing one this big again, but who knows? I think Genghis Khan had a few sons who would never rule, so we'll see. So, what do I have in store for my next miniseries? Well, 안녕하세요. 우리는 한국에 갈 것입니다. For those who don't understand, hello, we're going to Korea. <laughs> I'll be doing a one-off subject who will probably take two to three episodes on his own. What I'm most looking forward to is not having to look up pronunciations before I start recording. Unlike these last three series, I have actually visited many places that I'll be talking about and use names similar to those of the people I'll be covering. I really want feedback on this. I do plan on doing future series about Asian pasts, so hearing what you, my listeners, think is super important to me. After I finish this upcoming properly mini-series, I'll be looking at those three French men who will help us explore Salic law a bit further. Patrons, you'll be getting two special episodes for that French series that I'm really looking forward to. And patrons, as always, thank you so much. Your willingness to pay me to do this is so kind, and I really appreciate each of you. I love getting your feedback, your messages, and your questions have been really great, so please keep those coming. For those who are curious, because I know Mike Duncan has done this a few times, the total word count for this series, not including special episodes, this episode, or my episode with Corkout History, is 113,995 words. <laughs> That's everything I've typed out. Obviously, things have been edited out or added. And if you're curious, because I know some people are, I use a teleprompter app while I'm reading this. It's why you don't hear papers shuffling in the background. It really helps me keep my speed appropriate. So I hope that works for all of you. Now on to questions. And after this message, you'll hear more. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. 
What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. First up, patron Mark asked if I'll be covering the royalty of Ireland. And yes, I will. I'm actually really looking forward to this subject because it covers a different form of inheritance than what we've seen thus far. And I guess this is the right point to share my long-term goals with this podcast. I like forming a story with these episodes. I don't think I'll try anything as big as this series for at least another year or two. I do like the four to six episode mini-series though, so I'll keep doing those. I look forward to stories that go together with the occasional one-off episodes. My goal is to keep making shows until I run out of subjects. And I have a broad definition of who counts, hence my entire second series and a lot of this most recent one. I would even consider doing episodes on, say, Al Gore or Aaron Burr, though I'm averse to doing episodes on living individuals. I also plan on doing all of the anti-popes. I had originally considered doing them over one year, but I've since decided to break them up into groups. I, I think this idea of looking at religious almost rulers is quite interesting. Okay, the next question comes from TK from For the Love of History podcast. And she asked where I came up with the name past. So quickly before answering, in addition to our podcast, TK makes some of the best history reels on Instagram at for the love of underscore history podcast, if you're looking for her, or just search for the love of history podcast. Originally, I wanted to call the show The Usurped, but then I thought of the two subjects I was most looking forward to working on, The Black Prince and Henry Frederick, neither of whom were usurped. They both died before their respective fathers. There are also countless women, say Lady Margaret Beaufort, who were never meant to rule, but had a very strong claim. Henry VII didn't usurp his mother. His claim was passed through her. And that's when it hit me. Passed. These people died before their parents were passed over by whatever random rules were made up by their opponents, or passed their claim through to their children. Past covered most subjects. There has only been one problem thus far, and it's that it's a homophone with the word past, which also sounds like the name of a history podcast. So I make sure to spell it out for people. The Usurped is still a pretty cool name, though, if anyone else wants to use that for a podcast. The next question, an Instagram follower sent me a few fire emojis. I think they were talking about Charles II of Navarre. I did a special episode on him for patrons. If you'd like to hear more fire jokes than anyone should make, his episode is for you. Yeah, I might be reading into it too much with those emojis, but I did have a lot of fun sharing his self-inflicted chaotic life. It's worth a listen. Patron Ashley asked two questions. The first, if Henry V had outlived Charles VI, do you think he would have become King of France? Not just in title, but as actual ruler. I do think he would have managed it for a time. I think he had a good team on his side. But I think things would have started to fall apart when his brother, John Duke of Bedford, died in 1435. 
Without Bedford's support, it would have been difficult to keep France. Even though by that point, Richard III, Duke of York, would have been properly old enough to fight, it would have been a struggle. And I do think Richard III, Duke of York, would have followed Henry V. Henry would have been 49 by this point, which is pushing old age for a man who was fighting. I think that's when things would have really just fallen everywhere. Much like Edward III being succeeded by Richard II, I don't think Henry VI would have been much different to the person we've discussed. Unless Henry VI had a younger brother who was a proper warrior prince, then once Henry V was gone, the wheels definitely would have come off the cart. I think this is a large part of why things fell apart in general. Henry V never had any further children with Catherine of Valois. His son didn't have the support he would need long term. Henry V, both dying early and not having more children, prevented the personal union of England and France from working. Before I leave this question, I will say that Henry V would have faced a challenge, had he lived, from a certain French peasant girl. For all we know, Joan of Arc may not have been captured in this timeline and would have continued to hound English troops. Remember, you change one thing in the timeline, you change everything. Ashley's second question was, The Wars of the Roses feature some of the most fascinating women in English history, Margaret of Anjou, Margaret Beaufort, Elizabeth Woodville, etc. However, there are so many women whose stories aren't well documented or completely untold. Who from this time do you most wish we had a magic all-knowing biography? I actually really love this question. For me, it's a toss-up between Elizabeth Woodville and her mother, Jaquetta of Luxembourg. What we know about the causes and events around each of their second marriages is really minimal. We don't even know when Elizabeth Woodville and Edward IV met for the first time. And in Jaquetta's case, what caused her to marry a squire? I'm not being mean. Richard Woodville sounds interesting and like a fascinating man. But what would motivate this woman who had been raised with certain expectations to take that chance? I, I find that fascinating. I also want to know more about this supposed witchcraft and what it was. We normally hear about witchcraft from the eyes of men and what they thought witchcraft was when they were accusing women of it in a court. We hear next to nothing about what women were actually doing that could lead to these charges. And I find that a fascinating area of history I would love to get more firsthand details of. Ashley herself picked Anne Neville, in case you're curious, and I think she would be a good choice as well. For the daughter of one of the most powerful men, the Princess of Wales, and the wife of a king, we know so little about her. And it's a true disservice in many ways. The next question comes from my husband, Philip. <laughs> he had a question which patrons already know the answer to, but I thought I should share it with the rest of you. He wanted to know why no one killed Charles II of Navarre. Now, even if you're not a patron, you will remember Charles II, Joan II of Navarre's oldest son and heir. He featured in the Black Prince and John of Gaunt's episodes. Throw a book at a historian, ask them about Charles II, and they'll call him an agent of chaos. Please don't throw books at historians. I have to agree, though, with calling him an agent of chaos. He was held in French prison, and there were countless times he could have easily been done away with, just push out a window. So why didn't anyone? Well, the simple reason, if you kill a king as a king, 
it both leaves you open for someone to do the same to you, and it violates the religious and chivalric expectations of the day. This is part of why you'll remember that Robert Curthouse didn't overthrow Henry I. Religious and chivalric expectations. Speaking of Philip, <laughs> one time period I'm really looking forward to discussing is the fall of the thrones of Europe around the First World War. This is actually one of Philip's favorite subjects, so when I get there, he'll be helping me with it a lot. Since I've decided to avoid doing episodes on living people, I won't be doing any of the living pretenders, but I will probably do the dispossessed heirs of each monarchy that fell in this time period. I've been asked by multiple listeners and Instagram followers if I'll be covering Henry Fitzroy. This is actually one of my favorite questions. In relation to the English throne, I really want to cover him, along with the Grey Sisters and Mary Queen of Scots, but I'm a little nervous about it. The Tudors in general bring out a lot of emotion and can lead to more responses than I think I'm ready for. I think I will cover them, but it will be a few years, so I'm sorry if you're waiting. This is also a bit like the early Plantagenets, Henry the Young King, Geoffrey and Arthur of Brittany. I really want to cover them, but there's just so much family animosity. Covering the Wars of the Roses was enough of that for the moment. I think I'll give myself a bit of a time away from England, just for a few miniseries though. Laura on Instagram asked, who are you looking forward to doing episodes about during the Hanoverian and Stuart period? The Stuarts, obviously, Henry Frederick, whom I've already mentioned. I'm actually really interested in looking into the almost around the change from Stuart to Hanoverian dynasties. I want to look through the other lines that had a claim and explain what they would have brought and what happened to each senior line in the long run. We all know that they were passed over because their religion didn't fit what was needed. But I want to look into the other reasons they might have succeeded or failed had they decided to convert. I'm interested in Bonnie Prince Charles, of course, and I cannot skip out on doing an episode about Princess Charlotte of Wales, though I'll be honest, I will probably be crying through parts of it. A great question from patron David. Which of your subjects do you think really benefited from being passed over and lived a far better life because of it? So obviously, anyone who died prematurely is not on this list, which leaves most of the second miniseries. So Joan II of Navarre, Joan II of Burgundy, Blanche of France, and Isabella of France, with the addition of Robert of Gloucester, Empress Matilda's older half-brother, and possibly John of Gaunt and Edmund of Langley. And then, of course, Lady Margaret Beaufort and Elizabeth of York. I think Robert of Gloucester would be my first choice, followed by Joan II of Navarre. I think Robert was a soldier, and fighting for his sister's cause really gave a life that could have just been about parties and nothing until death meaning. I think not trying to be king made him a better man, and a man more ready to stand up for his family. I'm deeply impressed by him the more I read. For Joan, the second of Navarre, I think it's obvious. She didn't have to deal with French court politics, she married a husband who seemingly treated her well, and she eventually ruled her own small kingdom. She also didn't have the string of marriages and living through the Wars of the Roses like Lady Margaret Beaufort, nor was she actually declared a bastard like Elizabeth of York. Her failings are her sons. I didn't discuss Charles II of Navarre's brother Philip that extensively in Charles' special episode, but just know he was there for his brother's schemes. They were not unlike each other. 
The flip side of this question that no one asked that I'm going to answer anyways is who had it the worst? I think this is an easy choice to make. My first subject, Robert Curto's. Being stuck as your brother's prisoner for almost 30 years, learning of your son's death while you were in captivity, and then outliving him by almost six years. It's just a sad story. Finally, a listener who shall remain nameless asked which podcasts I listen to. I knew someone would do this. <laughs> this is a bit of a list, but do remember, I have limited time to listen because I'm working on this show for you. One of the problems of having a podcast that requires extensive reading is that I can't listen to podcasts while working. I usually listen while driving and on my morning walk with the dog. On our long drives to Sydney, Philip and I listen to everything Mike Duncan has ever made. We're looking forward to his new show as well. We are currently listening to Robert Pearson's History of Byzantium podcasts. We're really enjoying that, so do give it a listen. On my morning walk, I usually listen to the History of England podcast, which is by David Crowder. In addition to being a great show, David is really supportive of newer podcasters and really kind when you reach out to him. Rex Factor is what gets played in the car the most. My children actually know the theme song and we have a little dance we do to it. <laughs> I also listen to Science, sort of, a science podcast. It's great if you're interested in science education. The smaller, newer podcasts that I support are Cork Out History, of course, Lafayette We Are Here, Grand Dukes of the West, A History of Valois Burgundy, and Dutch Art and Design Today. I've been so lucky to get to know the host of all four podcasts since starting this one, and they're great people to know. I have a lot of friends, at least now, in the podcasting community, so I'll recommend a few of their shows even though I don't listen as regularly as I'd like to, due mainly to my lack of time. If you like a chatty podcast, Battle Royale, covering the kings of France, is great, as is Bad at Talking with Victoria and the Queen's podcast, which really doesn't need my help, but they've been wonderfully welcoming to me as a new podcaster. Anthology of Heroes is a great podcast that isn't dissimilar to this show. It covers a lot of the people you may not have heard of yet. Oh, and I already mentioned her, but TK's For the Love of History is something I'm happy to recommend. And before I forget, I also would like to recommend everyone at Past and Present Media. So that includes History with Jackson, Accessible Art History, and The History Corner. These people are wonderful and super supportive of me, and I definitely want to throw my support behind them. Now that is Past as in P-A-S-T and Present Media, and you can find them on Instagram and then be able to access all of the various podcasts that are part of that network on there. Please do let me know if any of these work out for you. I would love to hear feedback on that. I have one final request since we're at the end of this episode. Just two days ago while recording this was my 40th birthday. <laughs> I know. How did that happen? As a gift for me, is there any chance I could request a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app? I know plenty of you have already done this, but it really does help the show grow in listeners, which makes it easier for me to keep doing this. As always, please feel free to contact me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or via email. I love getting feedback and hearing from listeners. Thank you all again so much for one year of this really fun show. I'm going to be taking the next two weeks off before I come back. I've got a lot of writing and reading to do. <laughs> and I will see you all then. Thank you for listening to Past. I can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at PastPod, that's P-A-S-S-E-D-P-O-D. 
please feel free to email me at passpod at gmail.com. I have a Patreon that can be found at patreon.com forward slash passpod. <laughs>